Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad you're here this morning as we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and uh, make Him known and make Him famous, not only hopefully in this faith community here at Oakwood, but also in our city and in our county and in our state. We're in a series called Inside the Lines. Today is part two of that series, and the title of today's message is Life Inside the Lines. We're going to talk about life, what it's like inside the lines. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are a game player, then no rules means that chaos follows, okay? I'll give you a little example of this. Early in my marriage, uh, my wife and I decided we want to do some activities together. And so we tried like tennis and some of that stuff. We ended up in a racquetball court one time, and we uh, kind of looked at the rules, and she'd played some in college, and I'd never played before. And uh, we decided, you know, let's just go play racquetball. And so we start playing, and I'm up on her about 9 to 1, and she kind of stops, and she says, why are you hitting the ball so hard? I said, well, I thought that was part of the game, try to get points and win, and she's like, that's not the way I play. I was like, okay, well, how, how do you play? And she's like, hit the ball. Okay, and then like, how do you score points? Or like, what are the rules? Well, there's just, you just hit the ball. And like, you hit it, and I hit it, and we just try to get like, you know, hit the ball to each other and keep it going. I'm like, that's not, like, that's, just, that's just like hitting the ball. I said, there's, there's rules to the game, which means like, how do you, score points, and how do you know if it's in or out, and so there's these lines, you know, it's like, you got to have some rules to the game, and so uh, we renamed that game Flower Ball, is what we called that, and uh, yeah, we, 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 we need rules sometimes, and sometimes when you're in a situation like that, you really kind of like rules, we really kind of like rules, because we're talking about boundaries and rules and guidelines, God is not in his business to take the joy out of our lives. He wants to create us and then make us the most miserable people in all of the world. No, no. God is the author of joy. He created us to be joyful, happy people. And he gave us his guidelines and his boundaries and his rules so that we, if we operate within those, would even be more blessed and even have greater joy in our lives. Now, Satan wants you to believe that God is holding out on you in some way. He's been doing this since the very beginning of time, since the first temptation ever recorded in the Bible. The serpent deceived Adam and Eve and told Adam and Eve, he tricked them into thinking, hey, God is holding something back from you. God's holding out on you here. And if you would just break this, this one rule that he's given you, you might experience this wonderful existence because you might be really missing out on something. And guess what? Satan's been doing that to mankind ever since, even unto this day, even unto us, tempting us and saying, well, God's rules, they somehow restrict you, they somehow are going to take your joy away, they somehow are going to make your life less fulfilled and less meaningful, and so we buy into the lie sometimes. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 8 this morning, John chapter 8. Uh, you can follow along on your phone or your tablet in our app, just go to sermon notes there. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, please grab that one that's right there in front of you or maybe around you on the, on the seat there. Turn it to page 894, 894, and you'll be right where we need to be this morning for John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. This is what it says. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, this is what Jesus said. Hear these words. If you abide in my word then you are truly my disciples. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. If you abide in my word, that's like staying power. That's like presence in the word. Now, he could have said obey the word if you obey my word or if you like my word. You know, maybe like 
Facebook like, you know, give it a thumbs up. You know, but he didn't say that. He said, if you abide, if you dwell, if this becomes a part of you, and you dwell in the presence, if you dwell in my word, then he says what? If you abide in my word and stay in my word, that abiding power, then you are truly my disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here is if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciple. Look what it says in verse 32. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That sounds awesome, because there's a lot of, a lot of untruth or non-truth in the world today, isn't there? I mean, I remember being in student ministry years ago, and one of the things I thought teens were after then, and I think it's much more today, is just tell me the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't, don't, don't try to put on some facade. Don't give me some fake version of inauthentic Christianity or inauthentic followership of Jesus Christ. I just want to know the truth. And here Jesus says, if you'll abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. And then you'll know the truth because you'll know the word. God is the author of truth. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. How does the truth set you free? It's because you're going to know what the truth is in all of these situations and circumstances in life. Now look at verse 33. It says, And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, who to say that uh, Jesus was talking to? At the very beginning, in verse 31, it says the Jews. The Jews were never enslaved. The Israelites, God's chosen people, they were never enslaved. I mean, you read that verse, you're kind of like, what are they talking about? We've never been enslaved. Have you ever read the book of Exodus? I mean, Exodus in Egypt? I mean, the whole book is about their slavery in Egypt. I mean, they were actually slaves to Egypt, to Assyria, to Babylon, to Medo-Persia, to Greece, to Syria. And now, at this time, in John chapter 8, they're under Roman occupation. So they've been slaves to a lot of people, and you read that, and you're like, what are they talking about here? You know, I think it was, part of this was their spiritual superiority complex, that we're the Jews, and so we're sons and daughters of Abraham, and Abraham is the father of the faith in God, you know, Father Abraham, and, and, and so because we're, we're spiritual elitists here, then we've never been enslaved to anyone. We have spiritual freedom because we've never been enslaved spiritually to anyone except for Abraham. And so what do you mean you will become free? Look how Jesus answers in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Anytime you read that scripture, it's like Jesus is saying, pay attention to this. This is very important. Truly, 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 I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now notice it's, a, it's not a capital S on son there. It's just giving us an example of a household situation. A hired hand or a slave in a house doesn't necessarily stay in that house forever. They could be sold off. They could leave some point. Maybe they're, maybe they're a slave because they owe them some indebtedness. So they pay off the debt, and now they're released. So the slave doesn't stay in, his father, in the father's house forever, but the son remains forever. Verse 36. So if the son, capital S now, talking about the son of God. So if the son sets you free, you will be free 
indeed. Isn't it amazing how we were just talking about sin and what shows us our sinfulness? It's the law, it's all the commandments and the rules in the Bible. And yet he says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it's going to be freedom through Jesus Christ because he is our sacrifice. Now, uh, there's another passage that got me thinking about this. And it's in 1 John. And we're just going to do it on the screens uh, for time's sake this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. Uh, follow along with me here. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, he's writing these things so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, we encounter a word like propitiation. And if I was in the lobby and I said, hey, so-and-so, define propitiation for me. Uh, Several of you might be a little bit scared. Okay, so let's explain it a little bit this morning. Propitiation means substitutionary atonement. Or what it means is being a substitute sacrifice. And so God had a rule from the very beginning that if there's sin, something has to die. And that's how we got into all the animal sacrifices in the Bible, and sacrificing the lambs and the, the, the sheep and the goats and, and all of those, those kinds of things. But here it says that he, being Jesus, is the propitiation. He's the substitutionary sacrifice, the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to him. How can we know we've come to him? What is the evidence in a believer's life that we have come to him, that we have accepted his gift of grace, that we love him? Is if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, well, I know him. And that's not off of Elf, by the way. That's originally here in Scripture. Okay, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Talking about Jesus there. So you see, we have these rules and we have uh, these laws and these commandments and these guidelines. And, And I want you to understand this morning that boundaries actually lead to freedom, not bondage. Boundaries lead to freedom, not bondage. True freedom is found when you are inside the lines, when you are inside the boundaries of God. And this is an all-around foundational truth for everything, for everything that's established. Okay, now, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, Okay, and so the first book of the, the Bible is Genesis, which means beginnings. We're going to actually be in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be looking here at what, what my family, we call God's Big Ten. We're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments this morning. Because some people read the Ten Commandments and they go, oh, it's just so restrictive. The Ten Commandments are just so restrictive. But God gave them to us. So that we could experience a great life while here on earth. And as we go through these and read these, you're going to understand this in in hopefully a, a much deeper level when we're done. You see, the Ten Commandments deal with our responsibility toward God and our responsibility toward other people. Now you remember, these Ten Commandments were given to Israel 
And, and Israel, they were God's chosen people. They were chosen by God to be his people, to be his representatives to the world. Now Moses went up on a mountain to receive these commandments directly from the Lord. So it was very, very important. These commands were the law. They were, they were provided by God to his children Israel to set some boundaries and to tell them how to live their lives so that they could have joy, so they could have peace, so they could have ultimately, ultimate happiness, and so that they could just please the Lord because their God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And the first four commandments that we're going to read about, they deal with how people relate to God, while the last six deal with social relationships. So Exodus chapter 20, if you're uh, following along in our Bible, just turn it to page 61. Um, Exodus chapter 20, begin with verse 1. What's funny is first service, I, I was just flipping this my passage in my Bible, first service, I went to Leviticus 20 and started reading Leviticus 20, which is completely different than Exodus 20. So I'm in Exodus 20 this time. So... Uh, beginning with verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, God spoke all of these words that came from God, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember earlier we read, oh, we're not slaves, we've never been slaves, we're children of Abraham. <laughs> and God blows that up right here in Exodus chapter 20. Maybe they should go back and read it. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I want to be first and most and number one in your life. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath and that, or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generation of all those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Man, do we need that today. Whew. I mean, I get sick of hearing and reading, oh my God, that we would throw away the master of the universe's name around like that. And it's some of us too. It's some of us that call in the name of Christ. It's like we use his name flippantly all the time. Let's just, let's just say that God wants his name to be revered and that God wants his name to be worshiped. And so let's not use it outside of those contexts. I mean, Shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain. So there's the third. The, the fourth one in our relationship with God is beginning with verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on that seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then we get into the six, the six commandments that deal with our relationships between one another. Verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your, that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the only command with a promise followed by honor your father and mother that, you, that their days may go long in the land. Heed their training. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or his Mercedes or anything that is in your neighbor's. Oh, 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 okay, I'm sorry about that. I added the Mercedes there. But, or anything that is your neighbor's. We're not going to covet any of those things. You see, here's the deal. The Ten Commandments bring freedom, not bondage. The Ten Commandments actually bring freedom and not bondage. Now, let, let's break this down. These rules for human conduct are not meant to steal joy, but to lead us to even deeper joy and happiness and fulfillment in life. We tend to think of these commandments as the standards of heaven. These are the standards of heaven. This is what heaven lives by, is these rules called the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave to Moses. If you really think about that, do you think these rules apply to heaven? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. I mean, do you think that's, those are rules for heaven? I think there's nothing further from the truth. These commandments, these Ten Commandments, are the lowest basic, fundamental, they're the lowest standards that there are for humans to have any hope of living in peace and harmony and to allow enjoyment and fulfillment in life. So let's think about this this morning for just a second. Let, let's, let's take this, this forward from the Ten Commandments to, let's bring the Ten Commandments here into 2017 this morning, and let's think about these things. And we're going to word them a little different and think about them, okay? You tell me if you think these are a good idea, if these would help us live better, okay? Hey, stop killing each other. We just stop, stop killing each other. Don't, don't murder. I mean, that seems like a fairly reasonable idea, right? Hey, don't, don't take each other's lives. Because you'll live, well, you'll live. <laughs> you'll live better, longer, happier, yeah, but you'll live. I mean, so don't, I mean, that seems reasonable, right? I mean, I think that all of us who are sane in the room this morning would say, that is a good, that is a good law. I like that law. Do not murder. That, that's a good one, okay? So stop killing it. What about this one? Could you not steal each other's stuff? Don't steal from each other. Don't take something that's not yours that someone else worked hard for, or maybe their grandma gave it to them, it's got some sentimental value. But the fact is, it's not yours, and so you just keep your stuff, and people will keep their stuff, it'll all be good. Do not steal each other's stuff. And most of us that are sane in the room will be like, yeah, that, that sounds great. That sounds like a really, really good rule. I would like it if people wouldn't steal my stuff. And so, okay, let's go to another one then. It would be really helpful... For trust purposes, if we would not lie to, to each other. Don't bear false witness to each other. Because we're not going to lie to each other. That would be great. I mean, we could actually trust what people say. When people say something, we wouldn't have to think about, well, did they really mean that? Or were they telling the truth? Did they tell us the whole story? We didn't have to ask any of those questions. We cut down 50% of your thinking in life. It's just like, it's the truth. Everybody tells the truth. There's no lies. I think that's a really great idea. What a great commandment. Here's another one. Could you please not take other people's husbands or wives and just sort of like stick with your own? Just keep your own spouse. Okay? You stay with your husband or wife. You stay with your husband or wife. I mean, that, I mean you think about it like that's a great rule. That is a great guideline. I mean, you see, the Ten Commandments are not so unreasonable when we really think about it. The problem is, is that we have bought into this life from Satan for too long, ever since the garden and Adam and Eve took the apple. 
We bought into this, this lie that God is somehow holding out on us or that we're not experiencing something in the fullness of life. But the truth is God gives us commandments for our own good. Think about this. If everyone followed the Ten Commandments today, everybody in the world, as God intended people to live in this manner, if everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments, the world would be a better place. No one would worry about being killed, ever. There would be no protecting of life. You wouldn't have to carry firearms, knives. You, you, there wouldn't be any of that because we, would, we wouldn't kill. There would be no murder. God would be the creator of life. God would be the taker of life. Humans wouldn't take other humans' lives. There'd be no more wars. There'd be no war in the world. It's like a pretty good deal to me, don't you think? Not to ever have to worry about being killed. Think about this. Houses and cars wouldn't need locks. How many people in here ever lost keys? Key losers, raise your hand. That's right, own it. That's right, good, good honest people this morning. A lot of you, you wouldn't need keys anymore. Because no one's going to covet what you have, no one's going to steal what you have, and so there's no locks on any doors anywhere. No locks anywhere. Your car doesn't need locks. Don't need keys for it. Just hop in, they just enable a button, you just hop in and go. Because no one would steal your car. You don't have to lock it if it's, oh, if your car's in the driveway, be sure you lock it because there's this band of robbers that's coming around neighborhoods and stealing stuff out of the car. We wouldn't have that. I know some of you are buying into this. You're like, man, God knew what he was saying. I mean, God really, man, this, this is awesome. Think about this. No more alarm systems. You don't have to pay monitoring anymore. There wouldn't be alarm systems on our cars. There wouldn't be alarm systems on our homes. There wouldn't be alarm systems on our churches. Or our banks or our places of business. Why? Because there'd be no, no stealing. There'd be no alarm systems. People could trust every word that everyone told them. Because there'd be no more lying, no more deceit in the world. You can actually trust everything that you hear. Can you imagine turning on the news and being able to trust everything that you hear because they don't lie? The government wouldn't lie. People that you interact with every day wouldn't lie. You wouldn't have to worry about others talking about you behind your back because they would just be telling the truth behind your back and not lying about something behind your back. I mean, you look at this, you think, this is awesome. I mean, God knew what he was saying here. This, this would be the way to live. This is how our, our culture, our society, and our world should be. Exactly. Because why? Because God is the author of life, and he knows how it should be lived. God is the author of life. He gave us life. He knows exactly how it should be lived. Just like an inventor that invents something, knows his invention, he knows the purpose of it, and he knows exactly how it's supposed to work. Likewise, the creator who created us knows how his creation should work. But there's really, there's really two kinds of people in the world. The two kinds of people in the world are those that like theme parks and those who do not like theme parks. Okay? Can I get amen? Yeah, amen on that. All right. Now, actually, it's, it's beyond that, though. There's two kinds of people in the world. It's those that go into a theme park with no plan. They're flying by the seat of, the, seat of your pants. There's no plan. They're not going to pick up the map. They just go into the park, and, and they just go. And, and, and they're just going to go, okay? And then there's the other kind of people that, that stop by that info center and the store when you go in, and there's that kiosk with a map. And then there's the kind of people that go in, they grab the map, because they know if I follow the guidelines that they've given me, and I follow the route, and I know where everything is, it'll go faster, I'll experience more, and it will be better for me. And some of you, that's a breakthrough this morning. You're like, wow, I've never thought about that, Okay. But, but it's, it's the truth because some of us, we get there and we don't have a plan, okay? Your plan, like I remember uh, when I was in Bible college in, in Dallas, I went with a group of guys from the door and went to Six Flags. Six Flags 
you know, over Texas down there. And I just remember going into the park, and what was really big back then was Batman, the, the very first original cool, you know, Michael Keaton Batman uh, had come out with, you know, Jack Nicholas as the Joker. And it was, it was great. And so I remember the Batman ride was the deal. And I remember walking into Six Flags, and all the guys were like, dude, we're going on the Batman ride. Well, guess what? 25,000 other people on that 104-degree day in Texas decided we're going to go on the Batman ride too. And I remember the first 35 minutes was walking around trying to find the Batman ride. Just asking everybody, oh, if you take this and you go by the Oasis of Alligators, and then you take a left at the third snow cone stand, and then go off into the, the gumdrop forest, then you'll find Batman behind it, you know. And so it took us like an hour to get there. We stood, this is little, okay, we stood in line for three hours to ride Batman. I mean, there was not gates that could contain it. It was like all the gates were full around. It's like, but we're here, man, Batman. I mean, we're going to have Batman. And so instead of like following the map and, you know, we wasted an hour already walking around the park. Then we get there to the Batman ride. We rode Batman. And after Batman, it was so hot. It's like, what do you want to do? It's like, dude, we've got to go to a water ride. Well, there was this big water ride that was kind of new. It had this slide and like five people could get on it. We were like, oh, we're doing that. Well, guess what? Everybody that got hot at Batman went to the water slide. So we wasted two more hours waiting in line at the water slide. We go down the water slide, we're all wet, man, we're refreshed. And he's like, what do you want to do now? It's like, dude, we've been here six hours, we've ridden two rides. Where do you go next? It's like, we're at Six Flags over to Texas. We've got to ride the Texas Giant. It's the biggest wooden roller coaster in all the world. And everyone that comes, you can't go to Six Flags and not ride the Texas Giant. So let's go to the Texas Giant. Well, guess what? Everybody, when they're done with the water ride and they're feeling refreshed, it's like, let's go ride the Texas Giant. That wonderful 31-second ride. And so we waited like three more hours. So literally, we went to Six Flags. We were there for like nine or ten hours, okay? And we rode three rides. And we were very thirsty and very hungry. So on the way, we were like, man, let's find something to eat. Maybe we can stay later. It's $41 for a hot dog and a Coke. And we were like, <laughs> but we didn't have a plan. You know, I wonder if we had picked up some time, maybe got to ride four rides, if we would have grabbed the map on the inside. You see, that map is kind of like God's boundaries. It leads us to freedom, to a better experience, and not to bondage. The second thing I want you to get this morning is that God encourages us to look at the long term and not the short term. God encourages us to look at the long term and not the short term. The Ten Commandments give us a long-term perspective on life and how to enjoy it, okay? So I'm going to give you a couple illustrations of this this morning. It is God's will for us to enjoy his gift of physical intimacy, okay? We're using that word because of the kids today, okay? Physical intimacy, three-letter S word, okay? God gives us some guidelines here that this gift is designed to be enjoyed inside of a marriage relationship only. And we must have a long-term view of what God wants for us to know that what he wants is best for us, not only today, but on down the road. And taking a long-term view enables us to better grasp why that boundary is there and why it is healthy for us. Now, there is a lot, a lot of people that have a lot, 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 lot of regret because they went outside God's boundary in this area of physical intimacy and it's causing them issues to this day. We could go into all kinds of things. We could talk diseases, we could talk children, we could talk divorces and remarriages and cheating and adultery. And we could just talk about Jerry Springer all over God's church. That's what we could talk about. It's a truth. 
And because we didn't operate within God's parameters and do the guidelines in which he gave us, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of issues. Another one is like honoring your father and mother. Okay, I want to talk to the kids that are in here today and maybe to the teens for, for just a moment, okay? Honoring your father and mother will make sense in the long term. Can all the parents say amen with me? Come on. Amen. There we go. Best amen I've had in four months right there, okay? But it, it, it's often difficult for you as kids, for you as students, to understand why honoring and obeying your parents is, is worth it. To, to understand why it's important. I mean, it seems like the older that my kids get, the less I know. I mean, it's like, Dad, you just don't understand. It's like, no, I understand. I, I've been in your shoes, and I've been beyond your shoes, and I know exactly what you need to do. You just need to listen to me because I've got to figure it out. And think about it, kids. Our parents want what is best for us. They have our best interests in mind. They want to protect us from mistakes that they made. They want us to, see, to succeed where they have failed. Another thing that God knows is that our culture is obsessed with the here and now. Our culture is obsessed with just the immediate of what's happening here and now. It is a major shift for us to see things from a long-term perspective instead of that of a short one. I mean, we want everything and we want it now. And we're not willing to wait on what's best. The truth about life is that most things that are worth having in life are worth waiting for. In fact, sometimes they'll be even better to us. They'll be even better for us. We'll enjoy them even more if we have to wait. You see, God desires to form and to develop us over a period of time. And that's one reason taking a long-term perspective is so important to us. It doesn't happen overnight. And what we get caught up in many times is long-term benefits versus short-term experiences. Some of us will gladly trade the long-term benefits for some kind of short-term experience. Think about this. The adults in the room know this. Think about it in, in regards to like schooling. You know, we do not enjoy the short-term experience. Homework and studying and tests and stress. But the long-term benefits of I'm glad I can spell. Because I know 42-year-olds that can't spell. I'm glad I paid attention to math so I can do basic fundamental math at the cash register because there's some adults that run running registers they don't know how to do basic fundamental math. And I didn't necessarily enjoy that short-term experience, but the long-term benefits, I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to school. This is, this is true in the area of exercise. Oh, but I'm, I'm so sore all the time. And oh, and I've got to schedule it. Okay, short-term experience might not be, wow, it's so great. I love sweating and hurting. It's so great. Let's make more pain in my life. You know, but the long-term benefits of your life being longer, of you looking better, the long-term benefits pay off, even though the short-term experience isn't what we want. You can talk about this in so many areas of life, finances. Short-term experience, I'm going to spend all my money and blow all my money, and it's a short-term experience. What about the long-term benefit of saving? What about long-term benefit of sowing seeds into the kingdom of God? You see, when we see all of this from God's long-term perspective, it changes 
the way that we look at the guidelines. And we realize God's guidelines are there to direct and to protect us. They're not there to restrict and to control us. I want to end with this this morning. Every weekend in the fall, Friday night, Saturday, and even on Sunday, there's this wonderful game called football. And it's played all across the nation. I know this is going to be painful for some of you that claim you bleed orange. I know it's going to be very painful to talk about an illustration like this, but I want you to know I wrote this before the game last night, okay? But I want you to imagine walking into a football stadium, high school, college, NFL, doesn't matter. Walking into a football stadium, and you walk in, there's that green grass. It's lush. It looks awesome, but there's no lines, no end zones, no goal posts. A couple teams run out. We don't even know which sideline they're on because they could be at the end. We don't know. There's no guidelines. Okay, and no refs. No, no officials. Are you ready for some football? You know, it's, what's the point? How do you score? How do you know if they made a touchdown? Well, they got to get in the end zone. Where's the end zone? There's no end zone. What about the sidelines? Well, he ran out of bounds. How do you know he's out of bounds? Well, there's a line. Oh, there's no line there. I mean, to us, we think about it in terms of that. It's like, oh, yeah, you got to have lines. What do you mean football with no go put? What do you mean football with no touchdown, no end zone? What do you mean no officials? Football needs referees. Football needs the lines and the goalposts and the end zones. We wouldn't look at that and go, well, that really hurts the game. Having those rules and those lines on the field really hurts the game. Nobody says that because they don't hurt the game. They're essential to the game. These boundaries are helpful, not harmful. And I want to tell you this morning, in much the same way, God's boundaries are helpful, not harmful. They make our lives better, not worse. And if you'll step back and think about, maybe even reread all the scriptures and everything that we've talked about today, I think you'll come to the same conclusion that I did, which is life is best lived inside the lines. And if you want peace and joy happiness and fulfillment and you want to walk close to God and you want to see heaven someday and you 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 want to be close to God and you want your best life now you don't want to pass on your sins to the third and the fourth generations and the consequences of some of your choices I want to challenge you this morning I want to beg you this morning look at God's boundaries for what they are they're helpful they're there to direct and protect and so we need to get inside the lines.